When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, James, you just said rollin', rollin', rollin' to indicate that you are recording this. Do you remember that song? Rollin', rollin', rollin'. No? In what context? You mean like the Limp Bizkit song? Yeah. I have not thought of that song in so long. It, not a it, huge it, fan that, of that song, that, but... That song's also in the, the Three Amigos movie with Billy Crystal where he sings it and he says, rollin', rollin', rollin'. I think he says, boy, my ass is swollen or something like that. I'm pretty sure that movie came out before that oh, song. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't well, think it's Billy it, Crystal, isn't it? Uh, what's his name? Uh, from Vacation Chevy Chase? He's not yeah, in that. I, he's, I, I, I'm pretty, no, I, Chevy Chase, Steve Martin, and Martin Short, I believe. Yeah. Really? Oh, I, oh no, it's not. You know what it is? It's a different movie. It's not Three Amigos. It's it's the Billy Crystal. It's that one where Billy Crystal goes on the ranch or whatever. <laughs> what movie what is I'm that? Yeah, our producer saying city slickers is what it's called. We're, uh-huh. we're 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 like deep in the weeds to start the show here. I love it. Should we just t- just talk about this movie the whole time? No, we're here to talk Leafs, and we have a special guest. Do you want to mention our special guest before we get to our special guest? Am I saying special guest too many times? No, I think you. I think we should keep. I think <laughs> we should just keep saying it over and over again, just to make me feel good. Uh, so we we. Uh, put out the call for who people wanted to hear on the show and the number one request we got was for Cam Sharon who uh, worked in the Leafs front office in their analytics department for eight years and is now a freelance contributor to The Athletic. He has his own website where he's tracking his own proprietary data that I encourage people to check out. I encourage people to check out the writing that he's been doing uh, for The Athletic uh, about the Leafs. It's been really interesting this year and It'll be good to uh, get his perspective. So we'll have, he'll be uh, joining us on the show here a little bit later. I'm excited for that. I have lots of questions. Um, I want to start. It, it's weird. Like, this is not the way we usually start the show. Um, I was going to start with Cal Yarncroft, but that's not really a headliner type thing. So I think we should start with the all star stuff um, just because we haven't talked since then. All star stuff. Yeah. You don't want to start there? You're, you're pumped for the all star game? Oh my are god, you, no. Are, are you gonna are you gonna watch it and break it down for the I site? I am not. I am not. I just think we should we should talk a little bit about that conversation just because Mitch Marner was obviously named the first representative for the Leafs. Basically the league picks the first thirty-two players, one from each team for some reason. And then fans get to vote in the rest, which is I, I can't remember, is it twelve or fourteen? I think it's twelve. Yeah, it's twelve. Um so the candidates, obviously, for the Leafs, Neander, Matthews, Holmberg, Holmberg for sure, Lilligren for sure. Um, I just want to get your thoughts because we haven't talked since that conversation kind of happened. Um, 
to me, it should be Neolander. Do you have any objection? Do you care? Do you think it should be both? What do you think? Did you see Dom on The Athletic had his awards look at the at midseason? And he has uh, Austin Matthews as in sixth place for the Hart Trophy at this point. So that would put him ahead of Neilander then based on, on those numbers. All right. Let's talk about that. What do you think about that? I think that it's interesting that Matthews hasn't produced anywhere close to what he did last year, but all of the like underlying numbers and analytics and everything he does defensively still push him right up into the upper echelon of the league is, is really fascinating to me. All right. So I, I'm of two minds on this. I think the first mind, and then we should get back to Neilander because I do want to talk about that. Um, the first mind is like exactly what you're saying. We are almost judging him against last season and not just last season, the season before that. Like he set such an insane bar that it's like anything short of that is not going to be seen as great. Um, and I think that that's true to some degree for sure. Like he's on pace for 40 ish goals, more than 90 points. Amazing. And, and the five on five scoring has really come on after a rough start in October and really through the first stretch of November. The underlying numbers have come on. Like he's still like 60% expected goals. I I just don't know if I'm there, James, like that I would put him in like the conversation for the heart. And obviously I've written effusively about him many times because I think he deserved it. I just don't think it's been quite the same level well, of domination. Like, and, and I don't, I, I wouldn't, I don't know that the Leafs have a, a for sure MVP candidate. Like Marner was the guy I picked, but I, even that like doesn't feel great. Like I, I started to think in the days after I chose him that maybe it should have been Neilander, but I don't know. I just can't get there to say that he should be in the, the Hart Trophy conversation to this point. Well, and I, I think that the elephant in the room and, you know, Matthews isn't at practice today. And I, I think I've said that before on the show. I mean, he's got to be playing through something and potentially playing through something for a long period of time. He just, the difference in the way that, that Matthews looks offensively to where he was last year is just, it's, it's a huge, a huge change. And as you said, even though he's on pace for 40 goals and 90 points, it's not anywhere close to what he produced the last couple of years. Well, and even some of the defensive stuff has not been as as good as it was last year. Um, I think some of that is what you're mentioning. I think they've used him differently, like especially since they put Neilander on that line. You lose, obviously, you know, one of the better defensive forwards in the league with, with Marner and they're starting that line in the offensive zone more often than not. I, I just don't, I don't know, like it, maybe, maybe it is just a case of, of looking at last season and judging it against it, but I just don't think he's been anywhere near as dominant. And yet, like you look at Dom's list of heart trophy candidates, and this is the list, McDavid, Hughes, Robertson, Fox, Pasternak, Matthews. And then it's mm -hmm. Kachuk, Kucherov, Carlson, Thompson. And so, like, you look at the next few names on that list, and, like, it's like, has he been as valuable to his team as those guys? Well, I, I thought Thompson would be ahead of Matthews. So, but I think the thing, and it's interesting when you look at it, the, what's harder to see is kind of like the, the full game impact piece that, that is part of, like, using, it's using a model, right? Like, it's not, it's not, a, sub, it's not a subjective thing. Well, and that's where, like, I would quibble with this in, in Dom's case. He's relying 
on what his model says. And like, that's, that's fine. I just, I'm adding more of my eyes to it and my eyes do not see like the same caliber of season. And uh, again, James, like it's not just last season. It's the season before that. Like Mm -hmm. you, you remember during that Canada division season, like he was unbelievable. And obviously the competition is a little bit different in that kind of thing, but I, I would say he's been, really good defensively. Like, I think that, you know, part of the Leafs bringing their goals against way down is some of the performances they've had as a team defensively. And I, and I've, I've seen that a lot from Matthews this year. Yeah. See, I'm not with you on that. I think the defensive stuff for him has not been as clean and the numbers would indicate that at the last time I checked them, like some of the, the so what, what, what do you mean? Like, I'm just looking at some of the defensive metrics when he's been on the ice this season versus last season. It's worse. Like shots against or something? Or you know, Let me pull it up. And Well, the expected goal number is worse. And and that's with that line starting more often. Mm, I thought he was still like really, really high in terms of like a share of expected goals when he's on the ice. No. So last year, James, expected goals against per 60 minutes last year, 2.04, which is just fucking insane. This season, 2.67. Mm. What's the percentage number, though? The percentage last year was 64%, which is insane. This year, 57.7. Okay. Very, very, very good, but but not not the same level of dominance. And, you know, the shot metrics, like shots against, attempts, all that stuff is, is just a little bit worse than it was last year. What's been different is like, the goaltending has been better, so the goals against have not been the same as they were last year. Yep. Um, so anyway, like he's having he's having a good season. I don't think he's having a great season, and I mean that just speaks to the caliber of player that he is. That he's not having a great season. He's on pace for forty goals and ninety whatever points. You know. Well, I mean, it's getting to the point now where this continues to drag on, and you start you have to start thinking about like the playoffs and like, is this, is this going to affect is what, what version of Matthews are they going to get in, in April? Great point. Great point. I mean, because he's so, he's so essential, but like, I guess the, the only one thing like I've wondered in the back of my mind is like, do you pace yourself maybe a little bit more after last year? I don't think he's doing that, but like maybe you're looking ahead, the team, him, I don't know. And just thinking like, I don't know. Like, there's just something that you want to be fresh for when the playoffs start. Like, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It, it just hasn't felt the same. I don't think he's been nearly as dominant. So again, like, I would go back to Neander. I think the way I came around to it when I was like thinking about it in my mind of MVP, which is completely meaningless. These are just meaningless things we make up in the middle of the season just to kind of take stock of this the year and how people are performing is I think Neilanders had the higher highs of anyone on the Leafs. Like, I think his his best has been better than anyone else. But I, I just think Marner does too many things for them to not be their MVP. Do you care? Do you agree? Where where do you stand? You mean just like a team MVP? Like, I think you're right. Yeah, they don't really have MVP. anyone to be a candidate on a... Yeah. I mean, I think it's relatively close. I think it's relatively close between Marner and Neilander and Matthews, to be honest. I mean, if you want to... I think we'd yeah. be splitting splitting hairs to put anyone like way in front, and I think the second half of the season is going to determine that. I'm with you. Um, okay, let's talk to m- let's talk more recent events uh, besides Matthews missing practice on Tuesday. By the time you listen to this, Matthews' status may have been decided for the Wednesday game against Nashville. 
it, it didn't seem like he was going to be, he, he's, he's going to play. Up, I, I, I say just rest him. Like, you know, it's a back to back and hundred percent. I'm with you. If this, if this is something we don't have any information, but if this is something that's been lingering for a while, it's probably time to not have him play through it over and over again here. Right. If there's anything, sit him. Like what, what are you, what are you gaining? Especially with the playoff structure, the way it is. And I mean, it's not like, you know what I mean? Like you're not, in this well, race for anything. He's not going to win the heart this year. He's not, he's not going to be able to win the rocket unless, you know, he goes completely ballistic here soon. Like it, so there's no, I don't know. It, and, and they're in relatively good playoff position. So I think you just want him to be at his best in April. Well, and, and why not get a look at Bobby McMahon? We headline <laughs> with Bobby I, McMahon. I, I did get a look at him and it, it's yeah, funny. In person. He, yeah, I, I went to the Marlies game with my kids on Saturday. They played the Lehigh Valley Phantoms. And uh, it was the first game for my daughter, who's four. And, and we had a great time. But the one player who stood out the most, and I'm not kidding, was, was McMahon. I, 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 I saw him, you know, like coming through the neutral zone with speed with the puck. And I was like, wait, who's that? And I kind of like look at the number and it's like, oh, it's McMahon. Okay. Um, and he's had a really interesting trajectory. So, you know, good for him going from undrafted Four years of college, uh, starts in the ECHL, plays four four games in the ECHL. I think was it last year or the year before? Um, he put up, I think he put up twenty four goals last year with the Marlies, and he's at almost a point a game this year. Um, he he looks good. He like just incredibly. He's relatively big, can skate pretty well, works really hard. I don't know. Good for him. Yeah, and I think if I'm remembering correctly, in one of Josh's stories, um, Marley's prospect related, I think he asked and kind of pushed um, to kind of get an answer uh, as to who the Marley's player who would most likely, you know, I, I can't remember the, the way you phrase it, but basically the player most likely to get a shot or something like that. Yeah, right? like, it ended up being Bobby McBann. I, mm-hmm. I can't remember how he phrased it. Um, but anyway, that's what well, we can get to McMahon later. We can't, we can't go from all-stars to Bobby McMahon. That's too big a gap. We need to fill some of the interesting stuff in between. That's more, uh, recent, relevant, whatever. Kelly Yarncroft, James, your boy, he's coming around. Like he, he did not start the season well at all. Um, I'm still not at the point where I think that that's an, like a long-term option where he can play with Tavares and Marner. Or, or Neilander when it matters, but like I'm I'm moving further in the direction that it's a maybe than I was before. Is there any part of you that is is moving with me? Like, do you do you think that maybe maybe they 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 might not need to go get a forward in trade, and that maybe Yarncroft could just be the guy? Coming into the year, I would have I was on that on board with that, but he got off to such a slow start and struggled so much early in the year, but. You know, you had a theory that potentially the injury that he missed a little bit of time with was something that was slowing him down, and it certainly looks like it because he, he's looked great since he came back. So he told me and, no, though. So oh yeah, he said it wasn't slowing. Okay, well there goes that theory. <laughs> um, but you know, he looks good when he plays with good players. You know, he's like one of those guys that can kind of he sort of turns into wallpaper when he plays with with the third line guys, and you don't notice him. And then you put him with good players, and he's got a good shot, and he works hard, and he skates all right, and he's been in the league a long time. And the only the only argument I could potentially think to make about keeping him on that second line is if your your deadline addition is going to be someone to come in on third line center and really boost that that line down down the lineup. 
So someone who basically could lift that line offensively is what you're thinking? Yeah, and and defensive. Like if you could get someone like a, someone really good to come in, like if it's if it's a Ryan O'Reilly or something like that, and you all of a sudden you're going to have a really good third line that you can play in bigger minutes, then then I could see potentially you're looking at having three balance lines as opposed to loading up your top two. Yeah, I like that a bit. I, I think. See, I was not with you coming into the year i did not think he was like a viable solution to play in that kind of role just because like offensively he's very well his career is like 15 16 goals right like he's well he's never been a big guy no and his playmaking is is not great like he he's kind of a straight linesy kind of player um but he's like he's he's really quick and hard on the forecheck and that's the thing. Like he works really hard. Like you never, he kind of has a little bit of that Mikaya vibe where it's like every night you, you know what you're going to get that way. And like you mentioned, he has a really good shot and like you play him with Marner who obviously can pass the puck. And it's like, if he can get himself open, like he did the other night, I don't know, maybe he can finish. And, and where I'm getting with this, James is like, you go back to last year and what became unsustainable for the Leafs in that second line is they couldn't play Neil under and Tavares together because that line, not only, stop producing offense, but it was hurting them defensively. And at least with Yarncroc on that line, you're, you're not going to be hurt defensively. Like That line has been excellent defensively um, since he's been on it. And so at least you you look at it from like a, you zoom out and you're like, the first line's obviously going to win their minutes. And then the second line, maybe they won't produce as much offense as you'd hope, but they're not going to get, they're not well, going to be a liability, right? And they've been playing that line in much more defensive situations than we've seen in the past, right? Which is, yeah. and then the Matthews line is getting, you know, there've been some games where they've been getting just tons and tons of starts in the offensive zone and they're using them in, in that capacity, which is interesting. Yeah. So it really like to your point, it would, it would help them if he, if this could kind of persist a little bit, a bit because they just, they don't have any other options. They've tried Kerfoot. Obviously we know what that looks like. They've tried Robertson. We've, seen what that looks like he's hurt obviously that's become less of a consideration like i don't know yeah i, I guess well, the, the good news is for them james is they just have they have lots of time to see well and everyone wants them to get a left winger before the trade deadline it seems like that's the consensus on uh on leaf's twitter but i is there any like one name that like really stands out as the the solution on that line i'm not i'm not sure if there is one i, I think you're right it's it's and and also you're gonna pay a price man like yeah, especially if it's someone the pr- the thing. I mean, even on defense, and we're going to get to Cam here shortly, and we can actually ask him his thoughts. Um, but it has to be someone who's better than what they have. Like, if you're just going to get another sort of like yarn crocky, curfooty, you know what I mean? Just a guy who's not for sure better than what you have. Then there's no point. So, like, if you're going to go get someone, it's it's probably going to cost you because that someone is going to be better than what you have. Indeed. Uh, do we have Are Cam? We at, I think we have Cam. Is, I, I, Jonas, we're doing a break first. Oh, right. I forgot. Do you want to take us to break and then bring us back out? All right. Off to break we go. <laughs> okay. Without further ado, we do have a special guest uh, and we've got some questions from our loyal listeners as well, but Maybe Jonas and I'll grill him first a little bit. Uh, we welcome to the show for the first time, Cam Sharon. 
Oh, hi. James, you're supposed to like ask him a question. You're not just supposed oh. to like, geez, right. I can't let you well, do this. Is, this is why you don't let me do it. Well, do you have a question, Jonas? Do you want to, do you want to shoot first? Well, I, I guess we should just dive right into what we were talking about before the, before the break and before Cam came on. Cause I'm sure he has thoughts. So what I was saying, Cam, is if you're going to go get, if you're the Leafs and you're going to get someone to play on that second line, which we've talked about tons, we were just talking about Kelly Arncroft and how he's looked pretty good there of late, but there are limitations. But my point was, if you're going to get someone, they have to be definitively better than Yarncroc, but definitively better than Kerfoot. Is there anything like you could see with Yarncroc over the next month, two months that would make you think, hey, maybe they don't need that guy? Or do you think you pay the price and get the actual upgrade uh, ahead of the deadline? Yeah, I think you've you've kind of got what the thinking of management is uh, when it comes to those guys. And they're not going to find someone unless there's a clear upgrade. And that's, uh, I think it's interesting the way that they've used Darn Croc actually this year. When they signed him, I figured that it was because uh, Sheldon wanted a right-handed center uh, on the penalty kill mm-hmm. and more of a checking type. And I think they kind of used him like that at the start of the year and drifted away. He hasn't been very good in the defensive zone. He, well, not to say he hasn't been good defensively, but he hasn't broken the puck out of the defensive zone very well. One of the few players on the team that, you know, isn't above, you know, 50, 55% in that kind of range, which is, um, you know, there's no like, there's no set target, but uh, they, you know, the least like to break the puck out with control and get their speed moving. And it's kind of worked for him lately because he's, you know, he's a good enough finisher and the shot's working. So there's really no reason to go away from him, but I don't know if he's, I don't know how complete of a player he is, but you also don't need to be that good of a player to succeed next to Marner and Tavares. If they can find someone to play that second line left wing role, they, you know, they, they'd probably make a pretty significant run. Um, You know, I'm thinking someone like, like obviously Vegas is going to the playoffs this year. So, you know, a guy like Riley Smith would be off the table, but Hmm. that would have been the kind of caliber of player we would have been looking at in previous years. So uh, like a smart kind of responsibly type player who can kind of do a little bit of everything. Is that what you're thinking? Yeah. You know, someone that, someone that would probably be a first liner on a bad team. Yeah. But what's interesting, Cam, like just to to interrupt is like you go back and it's, um, I, I wonder if you have thoughts on the type of player and maybe this, maybe Smith kind of speaks to this, the type of player who would fit there because you go back a couple years and I mean, you were with the team at this point, you trade for Alex Galchenyuk, you kind of rehabilitate Alex Galchenyuk, and he ends up fitting in really nicely with Tavares and Neander. And it was like his playmaking brought a little something. He's bigger. Is there a type of player you think that they need to to kind of wedge in there? No. And, and the thing with someone like Galchenyuk or, you know, others is you get to the point where, you know, Michael Bunting is also a good example. It's, it's kind of a, a good bet on a player that another team finds expendable. Um, it doesn't have to be a forward. You know, they did this with Connor Timmons this year already. Uh, a good bet on someone that that doesn't cost you anything. And then if they turn into something, that's a bonus. And that's the thing. I think that there are a lot of players like that. And I think that, I think that management understands that, you know, there's frankly, there's, 
eight or nine guys of those in every, in any organization. You can just, you know, any one of the, you know, there's, there's so many players in the NHL that can step onto a top line or a second line and look good for three or four weeks at a time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that, that's like, they're going to want to get someone above that caliber if they, if they do that. Um, And I think that that will probably be the number one priority for them at the deadline. I think that they're, you know, just from my own experience, we, you know, they've been looking for that, that, that good fit at left wing for a long time now. Um, and, you know, Bunting, I think, exceeded a lot of expectations. And they want someone, you know, not necessarily a Bunting type, but just a, a player that is above what they can kind of bring up from the minors mm-hmm. or Nick Robertson or Kyle Yarncroft. Just, yeah, it's got to be that upgrade. It's got to be someone that can do it's got to be someone more complete that can help in the breakout and shoot can pass. And you're right. Uh, when you said it earlier, like Yaron Kroc's not much of a playmaker. He's been scoring, but he's not been moving the puck particularly well. Remember Jonas, the one name that was out there, I think it was last year was, was Granlund. Mikhail Granlund was That's like your that. boy. Well, I just, he's a guy that can play different positions and I think do some of the things that Cam's talking about. Are you trying to get something out of me here? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, just tell us what you offered for Granlin and why it didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, I'm just... Well, yeah. <laughs> well, I would follow the... I, I'm, not, I'm not on the phone call, so... Uh, or I never was, so... Well, I, I don't know, know if you how you felt at the time, but I had some... I don't know. I don't know what the, the, the right word is. Uh, hind, I guess feelings in hindsight, just watching... I don't know. I was watching one of the games that they had earlier this year in Tampa, and I was watching Kalorn, and obviously Kalorn is kind of fallen off a bit but it brought me back to hyman and i was thinking man like if they if you just were able to plug zach hyman into that top six like you'd be set obviously the contract complicates things but i don't know i don't even have a question but like i don't know if you you've ever had some some thoughts like that about hyman either at the time or now it's just like he kind of is exactly what they're missing and and now i'm starting to think like maybe have i been a little bit too precious about contracts and, and thinking too deeply about I don't know like you see some other teams and they just kind of like they're just like whatever here you go seven years eight years but I, I wonder if in hindsight it would have been better to keep him I don't know if you have any thoughts on that um I I think if you if you keep on time and you probably don't have bunting break up yep. the, way, the way he did and I think I think that there's probably a little bit more appetite internally to, to re-sign bunting um, he's probably going to be cheaper than Hyman wound up being, which is one of the reasons why. And I, I, you know, they're, they're, they're pretty similar players to be honest. And I actually think like, I think Bunting's really improved his puck handling this year. Uh, and I was, you know, I was a big fan of Zach Hyman's when he was in Toronto. I was, you know, one of the, one of his biggest fans in the organization, I think. I could just do so many things and I, you know, I, I obviously felt vindicated last year when he wound up being a very effective net front presence on the power play. That's something I've been pushing for. A while. Um, but yeah, you know, it would be great to be able to have kept him. It would have been great to have been able to cap, to keep Mikheyev, but you kind of have to cut bait on these players when they start to, you know, not just, not necessarily be, be paid more than they're worth, but if, even if they're paid what they're worth, that doesn't really fit into the Leafs cap structure right now. And they need to find, you know, the, the problem with having so many high pay guys is you need to also get a lot of players that 
exceed their contracts and that are playing for under a million dollars and and giving you three or four million dollars worth of value and you know they've been successful enough doing it that they you know it kind of takes the pressure off so yeah finding bunting is big and if bunting wasn't there i'm sure there would have been some other player like you know, the like I was saying, like there's there's so many players that can kind of fit into that role if they you know they have to play an extended time, especially with with very good players, and that's the benefit to having, uh, you know, Matthews and Nylander on one line and Tavares and Marner on the other is it lowers the the floor that you need to have a, an effective player in that spot. I'm uh I'm curious, Cam. Just listening to you talk, like with your role, and you, you don't have to give us like any kind of trade secrets or whatever. Whatever, but like, were you were you involved like when they were looking at at free agent options? Like, were you helping evaluate those? Were you looking at at players they would draft? Like, were you looking at the the breaking down game situations? Like, what, what was your what was your day to day like with in the the years you were with the Leafs? Uh. Well, yeah, it's kind of you're you're helping out wherever you can, and part of the part of the problem, I would say, like, like we had a pretty big department. I think that we were just thinking. I think we were at eight when I left, and you know, it's a it's a big department, but there's also so many things to do that it it really limit. Like, you really need to have people in those specialized roles um, to to be able to to be effective. Um, so I. You know, if I'm doing, if I'm spending half my time on preparing for, uh, you know, doing pre-scouts and the other half of my time evaluating free agents for trade targets, you know, I'm not, you know, that's actually not a whole lot of time being able, you know, being put into, being put into either. It's it, these, these sorts of things, they take a long time to do well. So, you know, towards the, Towards the trade deadline or towards free agency, I'd be looking. At, um, I'd be, you know, I'd be doing a lot more stuff around preparing for, you know, preparing trade targets and free agent targets, and around uh, playoffs. It's more, you know, how are we, you know, how are we going to look at one of the six different opponents we can play, mm-hmm. you know, um, and yeah, that's you know, I I I would have I would have had an opinion on bunting or other players, but I wouldn't have, you know, it wouldn't have been me. Ma- oh, obviously it's never someone, you know, at my pay grade making the final call. That's higher than that. But, you know, I'll try and push the, try and push the conversation into a smart direction. What's it like, Cam? It's more so. Sorry, Cam, I was just going to ask you, like, what's it like when there's a yeah. player or what was it like when there's a player, you're like, this is a guy, like, how do you kind of make your case that way? What's it like? I don't know, trying to push for someone that way. Uh, for me, I wanted to just keep talking about him until, until we did something, until I got an answer one way or another of why we were, why we were pursuing him or why we weren't going to pursue him. Um, and he just, you know, I wanted to keep a player's name and I just want to keep a player being talked about. And so that, you know, I know that, Kyle would be talking to the the player personnel guys or, um, you know, just, but part part of it too is I I wasn't exactly working with a direct line to Kyle. Um, Most of the time we'd be working within our own department and we kind of wanted to have, we didn't want to show that there'd be, you know, we didn't want to show off how much 
division there was at times within our department with regard to certain players. Sure. So the so the, the what we really tried to do was have one opinion from the department about a particular player um, and say, yes, we should pursue this or no, we shouldn't pursue this person. Um, so it became harder to like push my own personal favorites. But if I'm, you know, especially if I'm working within the confines of the department, I want to keep talking about someone until, you know, uh, someone relents and then I'm allowed to prepare a small report on them. That's what so I we, try to do. Yeah. With James, James, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. You, you were just, it was just Martin Marincin every day then for <laughs> every year, year after year. Why aren't we calling this guy up yet? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, can we speak to that? Not to Martin Marincin, but. In terms of those conversations with your department, I wonder what it's like because because James and I get in arguments. Dom and I will sometimes get in not arguments but debates because sometimes yeah. there are you can look at the numbers one way and they will tell you something, and yet there's also there's obviously what you see and and there's intangibly type stuff. And one of the conversations that James and I have had a lot is about playoff defense like do you need a specific type of defenseman to play in the playoffs and i kind of lean towards you do and yet dom might say look at their defense look at the numbers the numbers are amazing they don't need another defenseman what 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 would those conversations be like for you where do you where do you stand on on some of those kind of conversations that you know we're having on the outside Oh, that's a, well, I don't know about if you, if there's a certain type of defenseman that play, that you play in the playoffs, but the more we were losing in the playoffs, the more I was kind of questioning what I knew about this sport. And I, you know, I go in thinking I knew a fair bit when I, you know, I joined the team when I was 26 years old. Um, I thought I was, you know, I thought I was well ahead of some people who worked for the organization at the time. And then, um, you know, you, you stick around for a couple of years and you realize that there's a lot to learn, especially about like the X's and O's of the game. And then, you know, just talking with smart people around the organization, you learn a lot more. And I thought I had a lot of it figured out. And then the pandemic hit and there was that series against Columbus. And I kind of, kind of threw out everything I knew at that point. Um, and that, yeah, like it, it's the game also evolves to like, you know, 10 years ago, we were using Corsi because it was a better predictor of future team success than goals for percentage was. But, you know, I had a Twitter thread earlier this year showing that it's reversed course this year. Goals for percentage is more predictive of future goals for percentage than Corsi is. And it's important to be able to, to make those changes and not analyze the game like it's 2013 or 2012 anymore. Um, so, you know, why, why weren't we successful in the playoffs when I was there? Well, you know, probably there's something to do with the fact that our team didn't take advantage of, of relaxed rules when it comes to obstruction in the playoffs. And we probably could have been a little bit more physical or we expected to fight through contacts and draw calls and those calls weren't coming. And, you know, it's, it's, I don't really know. I have no answer for why we for why we weren't successful in the playoffs. Um, it, you know, obviously the last two times around we outscored the opposition and still lost the series, which doesn't happen all that often. So that's a bit of a sour spot for myself. Um, but 
yeah, like, you know, I, I agree with Dom to, to an extent, like there's not like the defense looks pretty good on paper. I'm looking, you know, I watch these games very closely and especially the addition of, you know, the Timmons Brody pairing in particular, have been great together and they look every part like an elite shutdown unit. So, you know, but if it gets to the playoffs and they're all of a sudden not, then, well, you know, it's, it's like, you're taking a gamble either way that, you need a Chris Pronger type or you don't. Um, yeah. And it's, 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 it's hard to be in that position really. Like I, I wouldn't want to be the one whose salary was now dependent on the Leafs succeeding in the playoffs because it's, there's a lot of guesswork at this point too. And a lot of luck. I don't really know. Yeah. It's, but you layer in the goaltending piece on top of that, you, you know, and it's just another, I mean, you look at the Columbus series, right? Like Corpusallo hasn't really been good since then, but he was fantastic in that series. So try and try yeah. and make sense of that. Actually, I wanted to go back to something you just said that I thought was interesting, you know, talking about Corsi and the evolution of analytics. Mm-hmm. It kind of reminds me of like, maybe it's kind of like the baseball thing. Like remember when, when Moneyball happened and it was like on base percentage and then teams raced to get guys with good on base percentage. And then, you know, there, there have been further, and I've heard Kyle talk about this before. There, there were, there were more iterations and in baseball they're in like the 11th or the 12th or the 13th different kind of stats chase, you know, in hockey's like, it feels like we've evolved away from Corsi and now it's, everyone's trying to find the next thing. Yeah. And it, it's been really, really interesting. And it, as someone with, and this goes to some of the questions that we got from our listeners is that they were, they were asking things like, how does the private data differ from the public data and things like that? And I think what the point that we're at now, and correct me if you think, if, if it's something else is that the teams and in some cases they're all using something a little bit different from each other. And there's not like any one kind of magic bullet that everyone's agreed on is, is the way to go. And it's, it kind of lives in behind closed doors and it's a really interesting point in time for analytics and hockey right now. Yeah. And you know, with the, I, there's a big problem with the private data in that a, it's not, you know, like I, I think a lot of like a lot of the big changes in sports came from came from just public citizens basically looking at data that was publicly available and and being able to to make uh, you know being able to to make good conclusions about the about the sport and and teach based on it you know Bill James just Bill James started just by copying box scores from the newspaper into into uh basically you know whatever excel was in 1970 um and you know the nhl's data hasn't changed since 2007 it's provided a few shot types but i think everything that you can you know gabe desjardins stepped away a few years ago basically saying that everything that we can figure out from this data has been figured out at this point and to an extent i you know to an extent i agree with that you can only slice and dice shot data in so many ways before you're hitting some really diminished returns. And, you know, there's a problem when it comes to the the problem when it comes to private data uh, is you're only having one or two people on a team looking at it and you don't really have the opportunity to, uh, oh man, I'm not thinking of the word properly, but, uh, but test it out. Yeah. Completely like dissect it. it. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's there's a better word that I was thinking of, but um, you know, I've I've gotten I've my vocabulary has been awful lately. I don't know why, uh, um, but yeah, and 
it's it, it's better when you have like 20 25 people online or something being that are being able to break it down and find new and interesting things with it because otherwise you're going to you're going to wind up chasing the one thing you're looking you're looking for and that's going to you know what's really interesting is player tracking and i've seen a little bit of player of the play, of how the player tracking has been given to teams and if you don't have a you know a department of people that can make decent conclusions from it other than which players are skating the fastest you're going to you're going to you're going to come up with some pretty bad conclusions using pretty good data and there is a point where no data is better than bad data but also no statistical analysis is better than bad statistical analysis because you don't want to get the wrong conclusion from 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 something just you know no matter how you no matter what you're using to get that that conclusion if you're you know it's an eye test thing or if it's numbers if you you know if, if it's leading you to a bad conclusion it's leading you to a bad conclusion and that's the problem and that you know i i wish that uh, that the stuff that sport logic did uh, i wish that the NHL would kind of pay whatever sport logic could use and put it, you know, add it to their official site. Thank you. And, uh, yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. I, oh boy. I think it's, I think it's, I think it's really important that that, that something like that happens so that fans can have a, a greater impact on the direction that, you know, analytics goes in this sport. And ultimately this is a sport for the fans. And that includes like the research part and, you know, sports fans are great at research when they're, given a lot of good information and you know i'm guilty of this because i keep my own database uh beyond lock and key i you know i i get put out some of it behind a paywall but not all of it like i'm looking at a looking at my database of sixty-two thousand events that i've tracked this year and it's going to get up to over a hundred thousand by the end of the year and you know, people aren't going to see all, you know, all those rows. Uh, so I understand the hesitation. You have something that's worth a lot of money, but, you know, I think the NHL kind of owes it to its fans to, to allow them to research the game and find new conclusions and new exciting things. And, you know, I think that would actually help teams make decisions too, because they're learning about the things that do matter. Are controlled entries still the best way to create offense? Well, I don't know. That's part of what I'm looking to find out. Well, uh, I should mention you can go to camsharon.com to sign up and follow all the, the stuff that you're tracking. Uh, we do want to get to questions, but like I feel like I could ask you a million questions. I just want to get your sense just because you were talking about some of the numbers and trying to pick it apart and what's next. Do you think there's ever going to be a way to analyze goaltenders properly or are we just all kind of guessing all the time and just should we just like throw darts at a board and be like, that guy's going to be good. Like Martin Jones last year was just like, this guy's... <laughs> done and now this year well, it's like why did seattle again? sign this seattle's goaltending was terrible and they're like we know the solution we'll get martin jones and everyone laughed at them and he's been he's been the solution yeah. like well so i started midway through last year i don't know what uh was the inciting event behind this <laughs> but about midway through last year i decided i'd stop looking at stop trying to analyze goalies really i just wanted to start focusing on the shots themselves and what kind of shots are better. And part of, and part of the impetus for this is I think that, you know, there's like, you, you, like when you talk about shot quality and that often gets framed as a way of the things that we can 
that we can quantify. You know, we have the location of a shot, you know, the angle, the distance, whether it's off the rush or close to a turnover or something. But you don't actually get how fast the puck flew off a guy's stick or whether a defender was kind of disrupting him or not. Or, you know, sometimes guys just hit their shots and, you know, there's some specifics I can talk to about Jack Campbell's struggles last year that I'm probably, I probably don't want to to say publicly, but there were some, you know, there were some things that made me think that, that, okay, well, guys are hitting their shots. They're not always going to do that. And, you know, he, you know, after he got healthy late in the season, he was okay the rest of the way. And one thing I also noticed during the playoffs was, you know, Andre Vasilevsky had a save percentage of 880 or something in that series. You know, he was, he was a good goalie. He was tough to beat. He wasn't great. And these forwards did a good job at hitting their shots when they had good opportunities. And that matters just as much as the goaltending, obviously. And it's something that the player does have control over. Yeah. And, you know, are you able to get enough space so that you can put the puck right off the post as opposed to right in the middle of the net? And there's just so many variables in front of the goalies too, right? And if you, exactly, when you yeah. talk to a goalie about like what allows them to make a save or not, what the, their language and like their vocabulary for what they're thinking about and what impacts them is, is different than what gets talked about a lot on, on broadcasts and in the media and stuff. Like they're, you know, they're thinking like, was there a guy standing here and what was I, you know, was I able to get positioned this way? And none of that is in the data. Like, you know, and I don't no. know if yeah. it could be, it's almost like you need like a, you need like an AI program or something, Jonas, to like track on how a goalie moves and how the puck moves. And you would need something that could just like see like an all seeing eye that could track everything at once <laughs> and like a computer program that could figure out, make sense of like who, who's actually, which goalies are making the optimal moves in the net to that they should be. That should be a good movie, eh, James? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. But yeah, like I, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know if we're ever going to figure out goalies completely, you know, but most of them are pretty good though. Like most forwards are good. Most defensemen are good. It's the same for goalies. There's probably 70 of them that could be 70 of them worldwide. That could probably be a decent starter on a D you know, in a decent enough situation. And some situations are harder to play in than than others. And I think the important thing for any organization is to make sure that whatever goal, whoever the goalie is, make sure that they have an easy time of it. So You know, and that's something that, you know, I know that they're looking for with Matt Murray and Ilya Samsonov or Samsonov now, I guess they're calling him. That's, that's, that's always going to mess with me. I, when players change their names, mid like mid career. Um, but yeah, aside, you know, aside from that, but you know, the least just need to make sure that they're in a point where they're not giving up 10 bell chances all the time. And, and part of the problem, with, you know, Campbell last year is there was a lot of, Issue with, oh, well, oh, you know, a goal goes in and, oh, well, that was a pretty good scoring chance. But, you know, you're going to give up scoring chances in every game. They don't all have to go in. Yeah, the goalie's supposed to make a save. Yeah, that's why you're paying him. That's, that's a really good segue into some of the questions that we got, so I'll start taking wait. them now. James, wait, we have to take a break, I think. Oh, okay. <laughs> do you want to? Right. No, I'll do it this time. I don't think you're good at it. So let's take a break, and then we'll come back with questions. James, you can take us out of the break. How about that? We have a lot of great questions for Cam. If there's any that you feel like you can't answer in full, then that's fine. I mean, just give us the level of detail that you feel comfortable 
giving. But, you know, the, the first question speaks directly to what we were talking about before the break, which is question comes from Tim. And he says, I would love to hear Cam's theories on the tactics behind why the Leafs were so good defensively when they were missing their best defenseman, uh, Morgan Riley, who plays the most minutes for them. Like, do you have, I know you've been looking at the data and you've been looking at kind of, and you talked about Timmons and Brody a little bit. Is there something that you see holistically with why the Leafs were able to play so well defensively with the the group that they had on the back end? Well, this is, uh, yeah, this is something I can speak to directly because I wasn't with the team for any of it. Um, yeah, so one one thing that, that Toronto are good at, and the other team I watch often is Vancouver, and something that they're very bad at. Like, just, just to step back a little, like, def- people give too much credit to the defensemen, as in the group of six defenders on the, you know, on a roster at any given time, as being so impactful on the, on the defense. But it's, you know, the forwards also have a big, you know, if a, if a forward goes in and breaks up a, breaks up a breakout or slows it down or anything or holds up their man with some good interference at the blue line, just find, find some way to slow down the opposition when they break out. That really lessens the chance that, uh, that the opponent is going to get in off the rush. And one thing that the Leafs have is they have a, they basically have a selkie level defender on their top two lines. And then they have uh, Kerfoot and Camp, who are all very, well, I don't know if, if I'd characterize Engvall as a smart defensive player, but he's good defensively just based on his physical attributes. They're like, they, they, they kind of have this, this instinctual ability to, to slow down teams coming up through the zone and something that the Canucks are very bad at and why their, their defense, uh, their, their group of six in particular get, you know, get, uh, get criticized a lot is because the forwards give the, the other teams so much space to move. And so, you know, this is a, this is a hard thing for me to quantify because I don't have the numbers at it on spacing or or all the numbers on on league wide breakouts. But I I reckon that the Leafs are some of the best at preventing their opposition from breaking out with control, which go you know which which means that there's fewer chances every game that the that the opponent is going to get a good rush with speed and with control over the red line, and they can do less damage. There's fewer not just two on ones, but fewer three on threes and four on threes. And those, those are the rushes that can really hit, hurt you and add up. And, uh, you know, it's not just the, not just the initial chance off the rush, but if you're defending for 20, for 30 seconds, now all of a sudden it's difficult to get the puck out on your own. And when you eventually do, all you can do is basically send it back to the opposition and they have another chance to break in. So the Leafs are good at kind of breaking up that initial rush. And either sending the puck back in and making the opponent doing it, do it again, or, or you know, or, or stopping it all together and for and getting a turnover. Like they're 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 good at that, and that's even without you know with that, like the defense themselves are rarely doing that. Like they can pinch it at the point, but yeah, that's that's I think I've covered enough. And <laughs> I'm, I'm repeating myself, but yeah, that's that's the thing I would say is. Most happy. You know what's funny about that, Cam, and and I'm I would think that this would have frustrated you, but maybe not. There's still this perception that to people, maybe nationally, and and maybe even in Toronto, that this team, like you hear, like even just like sitting on a plane, like traveling to a game, you just hear like fans talking about it. The Leafs aren't good defensively. It's like actually, 
for a while now, this has become yeah. one of the better defensive teams in the league, but they still don't have that reputation for some reason. I don't know why you think that is. I guess that's just old habits and history and everything like that dying hard. Like there, there, there was some time there where we were terrible defensively when I was there. Yep. Like it's, I think uh, in our first playoff year, we were like 28th in the league in goals against or something ridiculous. Yes, it wasn't or twenty eighth in chances against or something. I don't know one of the one of the categories on natural statric, but you know we were we weren't good, and then that changed. That changed with the forwards kind of learning how to play that full two hundred foot game, what everyone expected out of them, and they did. Like you know, Marner and Matthews are fantastic two way players, and they don't get a whole lot of credit for it. They'll get a couple of selkie votes each at the end of the year. Um. Oh, we, you know, which is still pretty good, but they're, you know, they're probably among the top 10 league wide and, and, and overall defensive ability from the forwards, just from how much they're able to impact the game both, both ways. Oh, right. Jason wants to ask. And again, like I said, if, if you can't, if you can't answer the question, then I understand, yeah. but he says what basically he, he, what he wants to know is what data do you miss having that you had when you were with a team that you don't have now? Like what, what's kind of, is there something there that, um, is there something that you miss that, that you had access to before? Um, well, you can kind of figure it out based on what I'm tracking. <laughs> yeah, so you're looking for like the, yeah. the things you're looking at are, are some of the things that were valued in a team setting. Yeah, that I uh, would really want to have. Um, yeah, the, well, it's like I was talking about before. What I really want more than anything is how well a team breaks out mm. and, you know, being able to click at that, you know, click two mouse clicks to get that as opposed to, you know, having to watch 8,000 hours of video. <laughs> is there, if I really cared, I could, you know, I was going to say the fan base is just to your point on the breakouts, the fan base seems like they're a bit down on Morgan Riley this year and in, in his defensive play, but there, is there something that he brings in that element of the game that kind of, elevates his value because you know if you're really effective on the breakout then that improves you, your defensive ability just in the fact that you're spending less time in your own end yeah and he's uh one thing that riley's really able to do is he's able to say control a lot and he usually plays against the best four checkers mm. he's he's ba- you know he's able to basically put up the numbers that a sheltered third pairing offensive defenseman will um but playing against top competition and that there's, I find it, I find it really funny that, you know, when you'll see people suggest that Riley gets moved to forward as if, you know, as if defensemen don't affect the offense or forwards don't affect the defense in any way, you're still going to run into the same problem issues defensively. If he was a forward, just probably from a different spot on the ice. Um, and, you know, just the, what, what he can do to kind of set up the offense and turn, you know, not just turn a three on, like he can turn a good rush or a good breakout into a three on two or a, or a four on two. He's got great vision. He's, you know, he's good at a lot of things. The team's better when he's not just on the ice, but in the lineup, like it's, it's one of those kind of simple things that for me, like, Oh, I just know. Cause I've kind of, had to worry about this a few times, but you know, he, he does have his defensive issues, but you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of good players do. So, well, and you know what the, 
just because sorry you're cam i was just gonna say the thing with those defensive yeah. issues is it can be one thing in a game and because it's so glaring it's what you're gonna remember and like you're not really remembering the 50 breakouts you know what i mean that that don't really catch your eye yeah. just you know what i mean like it almost it was the same thing at times with jake gardner it's like you'd notice that one big thing but you wouldn't notice all the other things that he does well yeah and i think uh you know having had gardner for a year or two however long we had gardner like i think i think riley's a much more complete gar- uh player than gardner was um gardner had a lot of he did a lot he did his mistakes happen more frequently to me they seem more correctable they weren't like, you know, when Riley makes a mistake, like you know, I'm looking at the turnover against Arizona that where the winning goal came against them. He's trying to make a play there. He's not, you know, he's very rarely standing still and just kind of bobbling it, not trying to do anything. He's usually, when he makes a mistake, it's usually because it's usually in the service of, of trying to do something well. And when he's able to do make that thing happen, you know, nine out of 10 times or 14 to 15, whatever it is, the, those do add up into positive. As opposed to if you just, you know, standing in the middle of, of your defensive zone and just, you know, look up at the clock and then forget you have the puck. Uh, Wesley's question is a little bit different track. He he wonders if you have a favorite prospect still in the organization or someone that you think can is, exceed expectations. Maybe someone that's not being talked about a lot. Um, I think I've I think I'm kind of on record as being on the the SDA wow. hype train. Uh, I've. I loved uh, I loved Samir and uh when I we his first development camp watched him play one period and I came back in and I I told the whole staff that he was a hundred percent going to make it to the NHL because his hockey sense when he because he was still seventeen at that point right after he was drafted his hockey sense as a seventeen year old was very noticeable you know considering a lot of the players that were in that def camp were 21, 22. Um, I, yeah, I, like, I, I don't know how good of a year he's having with the Marlies. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't really have access to that anymore. So I guess Cam, can I just ask you about him? The one thing curiosity yeah. with him is he has such an unusual style. Like he almost plays like kind of like in slow motion, uh, just with the way that he thinks the game. Do you think the way that he, plays can translate to the nhl especially given how small he is and he's not like the the fastest guy around well that's the thing like i i don't know how well he's developed over the last over the last few months you know this is this would be a big year for him and he you know he had the one game he was kind of he might have played twice but he was he didn't play much in in one game at least so yeah yeah like i don't i don't know if if he still has a if he still has a has a shot really like he's getting pretty old but um, you know, I, I just, I just loved him, uh, when I watched him when he was 17. <laughs> so he's my, you know, he's my guy. He's forever my guy. <laughs> uh, he also looked like he was 12 when he was drafted. Yeah. Yes, he, he did. still sort of does. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Looked like a bit like Michael Sarah. Um, <laughs> Mike wants to know what's the, what's the work-life balance working as an analyst for an NHL team or do you work very long hours? Is it random? Uh, is there lots of, is there lots of travel? Uh, and he also wants to know if there's a player you are very right or very wrong about that you will talk about. So there's two questions there from Mike. Well, I've already brought up the players I'm right and wrong about one, you know, Zach Hyman net front ability on the power play and SDA being a sure bet to make the NHL. <laughs> uh, so I, 
that I can get out of the way. Uh, the work-life balance is very difficult. And there was a Twitter thread um, earlier in the summer of a guy that left the Colorado Rockies organization. He was a lot younger than me. Um, he worked there for a couple of years. And, you know, the, the thing is with, with a job like this is you're, you're kind of underpaid because there's a lot of, of benefit to, you know, there's some intangible benefit for working for a sports organization. A lot of people want to do it. Um, and when it, and when that kind of becomes stressful, uh, then it becomes, you know, a net negative. Um, cause you're, you know, now you're underpaid and stressed all the time. There were a lot of 14, 15 hour days, especially around the playoffs. There were a lot of sleepless nights. There were, you know, for eight years of my life, I basically worked six out of seven days through the winter and I didn't have a lot of time off. Didn't really get the chance, you know, don't get too many chances to see your family. I was, ve- you know, I'm very lucky that I got to live out on the West Coast. So, the games would be over at, you know, seven. Most of my stuff would be done by eight. I still have some time to have a bit of a social life, but I think if I lived in Toronto or lived in the Eastern time zone, there's, you know, it's very difficult to have a social life outside of hockey. And that's something I tried really hard to make sure that I was able to maintain. Um, I wouldn't advise anyone do a job like that unless they were really committed and really wanted to, um, to, to make a difference in the game or win a Stanley cup or something. Cause for, you know, for the, this was really my, this is really my only path to professional sports is making as an analyst. Um, but it's, there are, I was, I, I aged way too quickly. I think, um, I was there for eight years. I look like I'm, <laughs> I look like I'm in my forties. I think <laughs> there were a lot like it's, it really took a lot out of me. Um, so yeah, no, do not recommend, but there were no, but, uh, but there were, you know, there's a lot of, cause you do get to travel and I was able to go to some, you know, places I wouldn't otherwise see, you got to go to some scouting meetings and some cool spots and see new buildings. And I uh, had the opportunity to, to bring, uh, my girlfriend out to Toronto uh, for the Centennial Classic in 2017. We had a big NHL party the night before. That was a lot of fun. And you get, you know, there's a social aspect within the league, but it's hard to maintain it outside. Um, and, you know, I miss some aspects of it, but there's a lot of things that I definitely don't miss. All right. We're going to run a couple more by you. Uh Adam wants to know, do you have any opinion on the type of impact that someone like Matthew Nyes could make if he joins the Leafs before the playoffs start? Do you think a player can come out of college and and make an impact? Any thoughts on that? Uh, I know it's happened before. I can't think on too many quick examples. But yeah, I think, uh, you know, when a, a lot of the NCAA guys, when they come up to uh, to the NHL, they're previously undrafted and they're just... 23, 24, they look good against NCAA guys, so they have a difficult time adjusting mm. to the NHL. They were never all that good in the first place. You know, Nyes is obviously doing what he is at, you know, 19 and 20. That's a different story altogether. A guy that was a second-round pick, a guy that was, you know, uh, projected by some to be a first-round pick. That's a that's a different type of player altogether. Um, I don't know specifically about Nyes. I know he's a player that everyone's kind of high on. Um, but I, I wouldn't really have any 
I wouldn't really be able to give you an opinion outside of what I already know about, you know, what we collectively already know about NCAA players making the jump. Uh, Matia wants to know, why do you think load management hasn't taken off in hockey? Is the sports science different for hockey versus basketball? Uh, do you have, do you have any, was that something that, that you looked at and talked about as an analyst in a, in a front office? CJ Brody went on IR today, didn't he? Um, and Austin Matthews was at practice. I think if, uh, I think that the, the, I think the Leafs have a pretty big, you know, they have a much bigger sports science department than I think every team. Um, and if there's benefits to taking games off or, you know, they'll do it. Once a game starts, though, it's difficult to it's difficult to put a guy like Marner on a minutes restriction, though, when the game starts. You can't say, OK, well, we're capping him at 12 minutes. And that's one thing you kind of do in the NBA. You can't really do it in the NHL because you're, you know, you're a lot more limited in, in who you in who you have on the bench. I think it makes sense, especially like, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a proponent of, of an NBA style play in or, uh, for playoffs, uh, particularly because there's really nothing to play for at this point in the year. And it makes sense to give TJ Brody a few games off if there's something hurting him that he'd still be able to play through because these games just don't matter. We're halfway into the season only and it looks, you know, we're, we got to be around 95% that police are going to host Tampa Bay in game one of the playoffs <laughs> that's you know that's a big problem with with the format but it also gives the Leafs a chance to try out different things and not get too worried about about what they're going you know about winning and losing guys you know what the other problem i think is just as someone who watches the nba pretty closely it's just a mentality difference like i was mm-hmm. thinking just the last few days just because i've been watching giordano and look at, at some of the stuff with giordano if, if they went to him and said, you know, Mark, like we, we want you to sit some games out, he wouldn't want to do it. And I don't think the NBA, the NHL is at a point where they're going to go to where a, a team like the Leafs would go to Mark Giordano and say, you're, you're not playing. Like we're just going to sit you for a week or we're going to sit you once a week. I just don't think he would be up for it. And I think he might even argue like it would actually make things worse. Like to me, a lot of it is like a mentality thing that the sport is just. I don't know, has a different mindset towards these sort of things. Yeah, just kind of sucking up and play right. sort of thing. Like we've seen Gregory Campbell try and defend on one leg exactly. while the other was broken. <laughs> just go to the bench. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a part of it too. And also a part of it, like like I said, I was saying, when the game starts, you can't just, you know, you can't just hold Marner out for the entire third period. You're, you're limited yeah. in your, you know, and, you know, NBA teams, they have, you know, how many guys on a roster that they just don't use over the course of a game. Well, and, and how about this, Cam, like this was, to your point. So I was very excited last week to watch a Nuggets Clippers game. Very excited. The Nuggets just yeah. in the first half, just like blow the Clippers out of the water. They're up like 40. The Clippers just decide, you know what? We're not playing any of our starters in the second half. That like there, there's that would yeah. never happen, obviously, in an NHL game. It's not possible. And that's just one way that's just like a, a very unique example, but that's one way that you couldn't just yeah. rest your, you couldn't just sit Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner for two periods. If you were down four, nothing in the first. Yeah. Cause someone, someone's got to pull. Yeah. Someone's got to play. One thing I have kind of also thought about is if you could have sort of like stalker style substitutions and can pull a guy from the lineup and replace him with another guy in your active roster yeah. in case like you got a, you know, you have a defenseman go down to injury early and rather than play, 
the remainder of the game with six play, you know, with five defensemen, you pull a forward and you you pull your you know, fourth line forward and you put in a, a defenseman that was a, otherwise a healthy scratch. Um, be able to do that once a game or so. Also kind of benefit teams to that carry more than 20 players around. Um, but yeah, like, you know, you, you also get into situations like that and it's, it's not good for the, for the paying fans. It's NBA style load management has its own issues. And one of the things is the, the season, like the seasons are just too long. And I think if you have fewer games and more rest between games, you have less injuries in general and the product's better, but yeah. no one's really, no one's really made that calculation yet that you can actually make more money by having a better product as opposed to just more of a bad product. But Amen. I don't, Amen. I don't, I'm not the one making those decisions. Amen. I mean that you see it when you start traveling with a team, it's like, this is ridiculous. Like this is like the cr- yeah. cramming in 3.2 games a week is just, it's absurd to do it for, especially Eight as we months. get into like after the trade deadline, yeah. like in March, March is always an awful, you never get consecutive days off in March or April. It's, yeah, it's ridiculous. Uh, there's a, we're going to have to close it out here, but there's a number of questions. People are wondering if you have any, um, one question says, did, did you get to know any of the players well? And do you have any, uh, stories about players who might appear differently when they're away from the camera? And people also want to know, uh, if you have any anecdotes about Kyle Dubas or other people in the front office that, that you think, uh, speak to kind of who they are as people. I don't know where, where you want to take that, but do you have any any stories about about players or or people in the front office that you're willing to tell? Um, no, not really. <laughs> Don't really want to end on that note. So if we want to go to a different question. I, I did I did my best to not get to know any players personally because I didn't want to. I didn't want my own personal experience with a player to affect how I would would judge them professionally. That's the Billy so, Bean approach. Well, yeah, and so at the Marley's Calder Cup party in 2018, I was lucky enough to be in Toronto for that. We had some meetings um, that overlapped with Game 7, so I was at Real Sports for the party, and that was that might have been the most interaction I've had with any players was, uh, you know, just when everyone was really drunk and celebratory. See, that was, that was, that was a good, interesting answer. Yeah. That was great. Yeah. Well, I think we're going to... <laughs> there's also a lot of questions about the goal song too. So I don't know if you want to throw anyone <laughs> under the bus, under the bus for that. It's a good, it's a good wow. goal song. And, uh, oh my God. I, I got, uh, I got to read the question. It's, the, it's, quest, the question says what it's good. It's good when the, the question says WTF is with the goal song. Is this Shani's <laughs> favorite jam? Do they keep it out of spite? <laughs> it's what I think at this point, yes, they do keep it out of spite. Um, Cause so many people have asked to change it, but I think when it, when, when the team scores, four or five goals in a night or or three in quick succession it's a lot of fun and it kind of has that annoying repetitive aspect that annoys other teams uh if it's you know if they're losing to arizona and and you hear it once late in the game it's it's obviously really annoying um but yeah they probably do keep it out of spite at this point the the worst thing what's worse on the goal song though is sweet caroline in the third period Mm -hmm. that's boston's song Mm -hmm let Boston keep sweet Caroline. And I've, I lobbied long and hard and failed to have sweet Caroline removed from the, from the rotation. Well, and and, but, and uh, Cam, there's lots of great songs. There's, there's a million there great songs that fans will sing along to that you could pick. 
So you're just you're just tired of hauling out <laughs> at this point. I am a yes, little bit are. tired of it. Yes. Yes, we are. Yeah, you guys go to more games than me, so that's you know that's probably why they play this one now. Life is life, which is just not great. Anyway, <laughs> uh, we should we should wrap it up. We've taken up enough of Cam's time. Uh, go to camshron.com uh, and sign up for everything that he does. Follow him on Twitter. James, anything else to add? Uh, if, if people go? yeah if, if anyone listening hasn't seen the work that cam's been doing for the athletics so far this year it's really interesting and it's really a lot different than what you'll see from from other writers uh and it's there's some really great insight into into the canucks into the leaves and uh cam's going to be writing regularly for us the, the rest of the year so i encourage people to check that out cam thank you so much for doing this we really appreciate it yeah this was fun it's uh it's always good to talk hockey with people that also enjoy talking about hockey and are good at it. Next time we're going to do like three hours because I have so many questions I didn't get to ask. All right, so prepare for that. We just go, we just go to a bar and yeah, sit that's, down. Actually, that's, that's a good that's idea. A that's a good idea. Uh, all right, well, Cam, yeah. thank you. James, it's been a pleasure. Nice try on the hosting. We'll keep working on that and we'll talk next week. Thanks, guys. 